thank you so much, Carlo. I really appreciate that. Um, my name is David McLeod. I have an opportunity to share with you today. Uh, we've been doing this study on discipleship, like what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so today we go back to the place that we've really been at in, in quite a few weeks, which is, if I can set the table for you, this is that upper room time where Jesus is there with his disciples and we're only a few hours until Jesus would be on the cross. So if you can feel the moment, if you can feel the pressure, if you can think about what was going on in all of their minds, including Jesus, I think it'll help you as we look at these special verses today. Something comes out of this that I think is so important for us to consider today. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, this passage really takes us to this idea of friendship. Now, we use the word friend a lot. Um, whether we're talking about Facebook, we talk about Facebook friends, um, and we kind of like, I think, lose what that word means when we talk about friends as in social media. I think that when we think about what a friend is, there's a lot of sort of ideas that come to mind. Um, I think of like my best friend growing up, all right? His name is Stephen St. John, uh, still a great friend today. And Stephen and I met when we were in grade school. And I remember um, I was uh, kind of a little bit on the outside of the cool crowd. Uh, Stephen was kind of on the inside. And um, I, I loved, it was great to have a friend who could like connect you to stuff, right? Okay, and Stephen was that guy for me. And even to this day, I am still incredibly close to Stephen. But when we say the word friend, I think different things come to mind. Um, you might be thinking of one of your very close friends. Um, you might be thinking of a TV show like Friends, all right? You might start thinking um, about like Seinfeld or uh, even something like Cheers, all right? What does that song say at the beginning of Cheers? You know, everybody knows your name, right? And so we start to think about what friends are. And today, what I want to do is I want to look very deeply in this passage and see what Jesus says about friendship, all right? Who does he call friends? And really today, I want to explore what are those characteristics? What are those elements of friendship? Because friendship is important to us. We need friends, all right? We need somebody to walk through our life together with because really relationships are who we are as people. We need it and we realize at the very outset that friends are something that we crave and we need. And I think those TV shows sometimes help us to see that. We, we see a glimpse of what we would love to have, like a bunch of friends that make you laugh, that you have a, a great opportunity to be with. But friendship is very, very, I would say, existential to us as people. We need friends. We need relationships. This is incredibly important to us. And here in this passage at the upper room, this meal has been done and Jesus is throwing all these things out to people, all these things to his disciples and Judas has left. And really the things are starting to really fall into place and the road to the cross is really set at this particular time. And what is Jesus talking about with his disciples? He tells them something very important and clearly out of this passage, 
we see that friendship, it's mentioned three different times, is the core of what Jesus is talking about here. So what does real friendship look like? What does Jesus say about it? Because I think each one of us struggles to some degree with the relationships that we're in. I, I go back to and think of my mom for just a second. She used to always tell me like, your friends say a lot about you, all right? Your friends can influence you. You influence your friends and be very careful about who you pick as friends. And here Jesus does something where he picks friends. Let's look at this together. It says 13, in verse 13, he says this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now there's something I think that really comes out of here that's very important for us to see today is that Jesus is reframing his relationship to the disciples when he tells them, you used to be servants, but now I call you friends. This is a huge deal. And I think a lot of times our mindset is, Jesus is, we're servants, we're, we're, we're kind of put outside here, but Jesus does something so much more intimate here. And he says, no, you're not servants, you're friends. And he uses this example and he says, a servant doesn't know his master's business, but a friend does. And he says, I have told you the master's business. Now think about it just for a second, the difference between a servant relationship and a friend relationship. They're drastically different. A servant relationship is much more transactional, right? Think of like an employee-employer relationship. What happens there? You do something and then you get something in return. And it's very linear in that sense. You get something, it's a transaction. Where a friend relationship is much closer. It's much, much more intimate and deep because in a friend relationship, if, it, if there's a depth to that relationship, you've gone through difficult things together. You've been trusted. You've been loved. All of these things are embedded in what it means to be a true friend. And this week I read an interesting story and it really takes us back to um, the early 1600s. And there was a small group of people that had inhabited Martha's Vineyard. But there was a big problem. The first group of people that were there, there was a family, and this family had a genetic anomaly that was recessive, but they also had other families that were there. And what started happening at a very high frequency is that children were born that could not hear. And so more and more children were born that didn't uh, have the ability to hear. And so this continued, and because it was a small community, and because the genetics were in a small pool, it continued to happen. And at one time, the general population would have one deaf person for over about 6,000 people. In this community, it became about one in 50. So this community kept having this issue. And the way that they dealt with it, I really want you to see, was done in a, an incredible way. Before American Sign Language was around, this small community in Martha's Vineyard area, they started to 
learned their own version of sign language. But it wasn't just the parents and the children that started to learn it, it was the whole community. And as that history progressed and information was written down, that community, you saw that people that had this struggle with not being able to hear were successful. They owned businesses because everybody in the community learned this new version of sign language. They were able to communicate and build relationships. It stood in a stark contrast to what was happening on the mainland. The mainland of Massachusetts, what was happening was people that couldn't hear, they would be given social programs. They were given opportunities to have a job program, but it was within the absence of a relationship within the community. And it hit me. This is very much the need of our hearts, and it's very embedded into us of our need to connect. And here was this small community in, Rhode, uh, in, in uh, Martha's Vineyard, and they were flourishing. They didn't have any programs. The whole community saw that it was their opportunity to learn to communicate with everybody within that group. And you saw the, the opportunities and the advantage and the way that the community really took care of itself. And to me, this became a very stark reminder of what relationships can be. Because the servant relationship is much more like the social programs, good, and there was advantage to it. But when there's relationship, people can flourish. People can become something. They can better themselves. They have those friend relationships. And you see here that Jesus is doing something incredibly special to his disciples. He's reframing his relationship to them and he's telling them, you're not my servants, you are my friends. Now each one of us, I said, needs friends. We need a relationship. But when you tell somebody you're my friend, what it denotes, what it, what it tells us is there's depth there's value, there's something special. And Jesus does that here to his disciples. He says, you are my friends. And then I want us to see today, I think there's two elements, two characteristics of Jesus's friendship that not only stands for us to know how does God feel about you, but I think it also helps us to say, this is the model of what friendship can and should be in a world that has a strong desire to connect, to have relationships. So let's look back at John chapter 15. Let's see what Jesus says about what a real friend actually is. He says in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. So the first thing that I believe this tells us about friendship is a true friend, and Jesus, as he's communicating to his disciples, says, this is how you know that I'm a friend of yours, is this. A friend does not hold back. In fact, the Greek word for friend is very closely related to the idea of secret, all right? A friend is someone who opens up and tells and communicates and lives life together in a sense somewhat unguarded, right? Jesus here says, hey, I'm not holding anything back from you. 
what the Father has told me, I am telling you. I am trusting you with this. I am giving this to you because this is what you need and I care for you very much. See, one thing very, very important for us to recognize today is Jesus knows how to be a friend. He knows how to care for other people. And you look over the life and the gospels that is recorded for us and you see over and over again, Jesus is meeting the needs and he cares about people and he cares about us. That clearly comes out of this passage. But I want you to see that God, that Jesus, is very much concerned about relationships because that's who the Godhead is. If we go all the way back to Genesis, in the first couple of chapters, you see a very interesting use of language. In the very first uh, chapters of Genesis, you see that when God is mentioned, the word is plural. Let us make man. Let us make um, creation. Let us make mankind in our image. And you see there very, very, very specially at the very beginning is God is saying, I live in relationship. And the Trinity is a, a hard doctrine. It's a, it's a hard belief for us because it's how do three persons interact in one? It's a complicated thing. It's tough. But you see that God lives in relationship. And when Adam is created, he has this beautiful opportunity to name all of these animals, but there's something missing. Adam doesn't have relationship. There's, there's nobody there for him. And he's not there for anyone else. And there I think you get a little something before we ever have the brokenness of sin entering into the world, there's a problem. Now, I struggled with this. How could there be a problem if God says things are good? How could there be a problem if God says his creation is perfect? And then I kind of hit it this week of this. I think our loneliness, the problem of loneliness, the problem of being alone is something that very much connects us that we are made, we are created in God's image because you were meant for relationship. You were meant to be a friend and to have friends. You were not meant to be alone. And here, I think the evidence of this loneliness setting in is really a very deep connection to being made in God's image. And what does God do? He takes Adam and he puts him in a deep sleep and he takes a rib out of Adam and he creates Eve. And Adam has a friend. Adam has a partner. Adam has a helper. And Eve has a helper in Adam. And you see the beautiful relationship of this mutually submissive friendship that God had created. And I think for just a moment about that, you see how God's word is opening and how Jesus says, I'm giving you everything that my father has given. I, I don't hold anything back. Here it is. I think we see in that beautiful picture of creation of what God did, the need for relationship, but how it was also really kind of about my second point. See, a real friend doesn't hold back. And the second thing is this, is that it's very costly to have a friendship. It's costly to have a relationship, all right? It's one of the most challenging things and Jesus doesn't hold back anything, 
and he's willing to give everything for his friends. See, anytime you have a relationship, it's going to be costly. It's a struggle sometimes. And all of us know that it, the closer you get to somebody, the more potential there is to be hurt, the more potential there is to be um, unfulfilled because you put so much into it. And we sometimes realize how costly it is to be in a relationship with people. We were talking today, uh, I do, my wife and I do a couples class at 10 a.m. And we were talking about just the things that we say and how hard it can be to be a true friend. A true friend to a spouse. And we see it all over in our world today. The difficulty of being a true friend. But I want you to see what Jesus says here. He is willing to go all the way. Look at verse 13. It says this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's a bit of foreshadowing. And I bet you it didn't hit the disciples until a little ways ahead of what he was saying. See, Jesus calls them friends. He calls you a friend. And he says, this is the cost. This is how far I'm willing to go is I will literally give myself for you. See, the relationship that he has with us is he saw us in our need. He saw us and knew us in our brokenness. He knew all of the things about you. He knew all of the challenge and difficulty and struggle you have. And he says, no, I choose to do that. I choose to go to the cross. It's costly. He chose to do it. He didn't have to do it. But he says, no. Because that is what being a friend is. And there was incredible cost and sacrifice that comes to bring us and call us a friend of his. You think about this just for a moment. Like he literally paid that much for you. He gave that much on the cross for us. And it's a punishment that he takes upon himself that he didn't need to do. But he does it because he cares and he loves you and cares about you. And it really starts to hit us for a moment that this is the real meaning of relationship. This is what a real friendship is about. There's sacrifice. At times it's costly. It's something of investing time that maybe is, is not very good and, and really hard to come by at a particular point in someone's life, but it's investing that time. It's giving to allow somebody to know that they're valued and they're loved, appreciated, and it's valuing God's image as he's put this and created each one of us. You look at this and you think, why would Jesus call us friends. It's because he did all the actions that the most loving, best friend you could ever have is willing to do. You start to see this, you start to think for just a second, this is how God loved and valued us as people. And what does he do here? He expands on this and he says, you are my friends. And what I want you to do is follow this command. Just as I have loved you, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and share that same love that I've given you 
with other people. The directive here is this. It's a command. It's a command to obey. It says this, I've loved you, now go love other people. Do the same thing in other places. See, I think once you really get this, that God loves you, that he is a friend to you, that he cares deeply for you, what do you do with that? Does it just reside and it just stays here? Or is it our opportunity to share that same thing with other people? Because if you've tasted the beauty of something, it is free and an opportunity to share that same thing with someone else. I think of like the other night we went to this really good restaurant, okay, my wife and I did. And I caught myself telling people over and over again, hey, you gotta go to Amelia's 1931, all right? You are gonna love this place. That's what it's called, just in case, all right? You're gonna love this place. And I kept telling people because this was awesome. I really wanted other people. I don't have any stock in this or anything. It's, it's just free to you today. Thanks for coming, all right? But the idea is this, is once you've had something great and you realize what it's all about, you have the freedom then to share it with somebody else. And you know what? When you realize that God has loved you in the condition and place with the background that you have, why wouldn't we share that in the same kind of way with others? Why don't we value and love, all right? Because Jesus does something amazing here. I love when he says, I chose you. I literally picked you. You were that person and I chose you. And don't we love to be chosen, all right? Let's go back all the way to kickball days, right? When you got picked and you're like, yes, I'm not, I'm not here by myself, all right? I'm not the last one, okay? You got chosen and that's a great feeling. And I want you to see when Jesus says, I chose you, please realize that those words are like holy ground. They are holy ground. And he says, I chose you because I love you. I chose you because I care about you and you are important to me. And when we have that understanding about ourselves, do we let that flow in grace towards others? Knowing the complicated backgrounds that we come from, do we care and love about others? Um, my youngest son over here, his name is Luke, all right? And uh, Luke is awesome. Uh, Luke is really scared right now too. But, um, but Luke, Luke introduced me to something because he puts on our TV at home, uh, YouTube Reels. All right, and, and uh, it's like a shortened version of videos and, and, uh, and it just runs at our house. And um, the really nice part is that you can hear it all throughout the house, all right? Well, the other day, the other day, there was an interesting video that came up and, and it kind of hit me because I was thinking about this idea of friendship. And the story, that was a short reel, it was like maybe about a minute long. And then I was able to look at a little bit more of this story but there's this girl, and um, she's not named in the, in the video, but she has this teacher named Miss Holson. And Miss Holson is like quite a special teacher. Uh, this student, she goes and um, she was really not treated well at her school at all. And Miss Holson takes a, um, a real like servant sort of picture, shows her grace and love and uh, values her and writes her nice notes and encourages her before school, during school, after school, and she becomes this very, very special person to this student. The student had a really, really hard upbringing, really difficult. 
And it was a huge challenge for her because during her high school years, she thought of, like, maybe I shouldn't even be alive. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. And one day, Miss Holson writes a note. And she says, you know, you know I, I value you and I love you. And, and there's just a very kind and loving note signed with a heart and Miss Holson. Well, years later, they run into each other again. And Miss Holson says, I'm so sorry. I, I missed an opportunity. Like, I, I'm sorry that we lost, uh, like, contact. And the girl pulls and, op- and lifts up her sleeve. And there she had tattooed on her arm in Miss Holson's handwriting that note. Because she never wanted to forget that somebody had loved her and valued her. And when she realizes that was her handwriting that this girl had put on her arm, she realized the impact that she had had on her. And I stopped for a second when I saw that. And when I originally saw I wanted to know more about that story, but I thought, what a beautiful thing. When you know that God loves you, when you know that God values you, that you are special and important to you, realize this, that his words are saved for you. All right? God has kept this ink for you to know this. As a believer, you are his friend. He cares about you. There is value. And he doesn't hold anything back from us. And he goes all the way to the cross for you. And he says this, my command as disciples is to show that same love to the world to show that same grace that I've given to you with others. Be a catalyst for what is right and pure and honest and lovely and good. Show that kindness. Do these kinds of things in the relationships that God has given to you. If he calls you a friend, be a friend to the people that God has put closest in your life the people that God has put in your neighborhood, the people that God has has allowed you to be a co-worker with, the people that you come in contact with. You have the freedom as a disciple of his to see the beauty of what it means to be his is to share that same grace with others. See, I think we use sometimes that word like BFF, you know, best friend forever. And I was thinking how God and how how Christ is that ultimate best friend where he gives and he goes all the way to the cross. He gives his life for you. And what does he say to you? That you are his friend. Think about that just for a second. You are his friend. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful for who you are. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to hear from your word today, to read these important words Lord, we pray today that this would be honoring and glorifying to you, that, Father, we would be able just for a moment, because so many times, Lord, we get in our own way where we struggle to believe that we could ever be loved. And, Father, you tell us so explicitly by your actions and the words that we've read today, that, Father, you love us, that you chose us, and that today as believers we can call ourselves friends. Father, if there's anyone in that doesn't know you, that today they'd have the freedom to know that they can ask that you love them, that we have the freedom of repentance and of confession, that today, Father, we can see the beauty of what it means to be yours. 
We are your sons and your daughters, and we're grateful for your mercy and grace. And we ask all these things in your son's precious and holy name, our friend. Amen.